Are we not allowed to sing along with the theme? Of course you can. Yoo-hoo! Hello, 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 everybody. I am Pedro. And I am Meredith. And this is Gritty Reboot, your guide to all of Hollywood's most misguided and foolish reboots. And with that being said, we are once again not doing a reboot today. We are looking at the phenomena of two similar films in one year. Granted, these two movies were not in the same year, but they were only five months apart. And that is Tombstone and Wyatt Earp. Today, we are thankfully looking at Tombstone after almost sleeping our way through Wyatt Earp last week. There you go. So, yeah, we are doing Tombstone. And Tombstone is a rare modern Western classic. I don't like Westerns. It's not my favorite genre. But I love Tombstone. It is so good. It's it's like an action movie in a Western form. Tombstone always stood out to me as one of the better installments in the genre uh, by a significant margin. And, yeah. I, and I've always sort of felt that way, even when I was a kid. You know, this movie comes out in 93, correct? Yep. And it was a sleeper hit. You know, I mean, it wasn't that it was dumped, but I, Disney didn't have a lot of faith in this movie when it got put out there. So... This movie really found its following when it got to home video and when it got to when it got to TV. Because that's I remember we watched the VHS of it, and you know this was just long enough to be on one VHS. And I made that yeah, joke. I made that joke last week that Wyatt Earp had to be on two two VHS. My parents own this on VHS. Yeah, so th- this is just long enough to be on on one. So that certainly did help with it. But at the end of the day, I think it's just a really easily watchable western film that has a really well done script. Yes, and despite. The huge amount of chaos that happened behind the set. This is a classic film and, and just a very good movie. Yeah. In general. Just a really good film. Yeah. Got a great cast. Yeah. Got a great score. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's anybody, you know, I've never met anybody who really dislikes the movie. Oh, I, I saw. I read. Okay. Yeah. I haven't I really run into I a lot of people that, review. that really dislike this movie, but I guess they're out there. And if you also want to let us know that this movie's trash and our opinion is so mainstream to just love every every minute of tombstone you can let us know that by email at grittyrebootcast@gmail.com. that's the most 90s way to get a hold of us or you can look us up at gritty reboot at instagram and at tiktok that's probably one of the places where we're most active you can also find me pedro amador uh, at illusionist 13 at twitter on twitter or x pardon me yeah it's x now it's x now it's x stupid uh meredith uh, your socials i don't have any that's right fuck social media that's not true please follow us yeah like and subscribe as well there you go this is we pause for an ad break right now if we actually had ads, but we don't. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes us. I think I auditioned for a sex toy company and they said nay. Did you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I read their copy and everything and never responded. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah, I don't know. They're, they're fucking themselves, obviously. <laughs> All right. In Tombstone, crime ruled the streets. Violence stalked the innocent, and every stranger was your enemy. Until Wyatt Earp and his brothers arrived. I love the now, deep voice of the movie trailer guy in the night. No. This is not Don, Lonfan- Don LaFontaine, who's the famous, in a world where love is forbidden. That's not that guy, it's somebody else. But, so Tombstone had what is known as a troubled production. Did it now? So, first of all, we talked about this a little bit last week, that Kevin Costner was originally approached for this project. Mm-hmm. Because I think casting him as White Herb is a really good idea. He's a big Western guy, so it makes sense. 
he wanted to do a wider movie, but he did not want to do this wider movie. This Why? was more of an ensemble piece. Oh, that's right. And he wanted a little bit more of a starring feature about wider and what made him tick. And boy, did he get that. So I'll, I'll, I'll give Kevin Costner that one bit of credit. He certainly did get that. So this script is uh, written by Kevin Jar, and everybody loves this script. They really do. So even with Kevin Costner bowing out, this movie's still picking up steam and momentum, and this pisses Kevin Costner off. So he uses his Hollywood strength and his power and momentum to try to slow down this movie and to stop this production. I think it was originally produced by 20th Century Fox, or Universal, pardon me. And basically, Kevin Costner said, if you produce Tombstone, I won't do Waterworld. So that was a bad call on their part. But he threw his weight around. He got them into trouble and and they lost funding. And one of the producers they found to help make up some of the funding deficiencies, he had one demand. And that was Val Kilmer play Doc Holliday. So that ended up working out brilliantly. Yeah. They were bouncing around trying to find a studio to release them. And Disney didn't have a really working relationship with Kevin Costner after apparently an incident in the 80s. I didn't really go into that. I just saw that and I was like, that's too far the rabbit hole to go down. But they really didn't have a great working relationship with him. So they were willing to produce the movie, but they had one request as well. That Kevin, not Kevin Costner be in the movie, but that Kurt Russell play Wyatt Earp. Cool. And so that was their demand and this ended up becoming a thing. And that's how Kurt Russell got into the movie. And Kurt Russell really went deep into this film. He absolutely wanted to make a movie about Wyatt Earp and Tombstone. He was all about it. This movie begins production, and you might notice that when you watch the movie, it's going to say, directed by George P. Cosmos, Cosmatos, pardon me. And he is not actually who directed this movie. This movie was written by Kevin Jarr and directed by him for about four weeks before he was fired. Hmm. I discovered after watching uh, a long interview with Michael Bean, who's a fascinating dude, by the way, fascinating dude that they actually got rid of him because he tried to shoot this like an old John Ford movie. And I really mean like he put the camera down to one spot and let the actors act out the scene with no close-ups. And while I can certainly appreciate his enthusiasm for the nostalgia of that style of filmmaking, I don't know if that was a real wise idea to shoot a movie like that in 1992. And because of that, he got his ass canned because that's just not the way you make a movie. You know, you put the camera down, you do coverage. There's certain ways things have changed. And he wasn't the kind of guy on this level of budget to kind of do something that wild and out there. You know, he could have shot a few scenes that way, but he was apparently shooting everything that way. He's no Artur. Yeah. And he had to be sacked because of that. So, and listen, maybe his version could have been even more brilliant. I don't know. Because once he left, they did rewrite the script a little bit and they brought in the director who I just mentioned, whose name I always forget, Cosmatos. Cosmatos, I think, directed Rambo 3. So he had some experience with action, but he did not make himself really any fans in the cast. If you ask any cast member, they will tell you that Cosmatos took care of a few things here and there. But for the most part, once Kevin Jarr left the film, Kurt Russell pretty much directed this movie. Kurt, everyone, everybody on the production will tell you when he left, Kurt Russell held the production together. And this movie was a real team collaborative effort, which is not something that normally happens. And... It's amazing that it came together this well. And I think it's a testament to the talent of this cast, the professionalism of them, and the sheer will, drive, and and the testicular fortitude of Kurt Russell to put his neck out on the line and really take charge of this when nobody else was going to do it. And it's just another fascinating element of this movie that there was so much working against it, and it is just a classic today. It's really considered to be up there with movies like The, The Searchers and Stagecoach. 
Oddly enough, the, the movies that Kevin Jar idolized and wanted to emulate, this movie is right up there with it. Yeah. So he achieved his goal in some way, but he didn't get to direct this movie. But think of it more like a, a team effort. Like, that's the way I know Michael Bine put it. And, uh, oh, my God, I'm going to kick myself for forgetting his name. Yandu. Michael Rooker. Oh, okay. Yeah, Michael Rooker said a very similar thing as well. And nobody liked Cosmatos uh, at all. There was a great moment where Michael Bean, like, he's loving... He's throwing loving kiss to everybody in the cast. Kurt Russell's brilliant. Bill Paxton's great. And he gets the Cosmos like, that guy's a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> like, he really hated and despised that guy. He, he was just one, as he explained it, he's one of those guys who love to push people underneath him around and then kiss Kurt Russell's ass. It really just rubbed him the wrong way. And he made friends. He didn't make any friends between the crew or the cast. And it was only a matter of time before the directors, I mean, the actors were just directing themselves. Mm-hmm. And Kurt, or Kurt Russell was doing, like, Kurt Russell was coming in on days off to continue to work with the cast and everything like that. So this really was an incredibly unique production. It's amazing that it got where it got. So it's one of the things I really wanted to mention. You're not going to find this kind of crazy or troubled production on really anything else, but maybe something like this, hmm. you know, especially where it works. Usually when we talk about productions like this, it's always about why this movie is horrible or a disaster and it's anything but. So thank you, Kurt Russell and the rest of this amazing cast and crew. That is pretty amazing that it is such a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I didn't know all that. Yeah, yeah. No, there was a, I watched an interview with the, the guy who was uh, the weapons and Western specialist, basically. It's like his whole job in Hollywood. And he, first off, he gave a great praise to Kurt Russell, who took everything very seriously. He was riding weeks before to practice, to get good on a horse. And he said Kurt was a natural at everything. You know, he was doing six shooter tricks and stuff like that. He was very committed, as was Val Kilmer. And, uh, but he said Michael Bynum had basically like, he really was like working with those tricks the whole time up until they did the scene. Cause he wanted to do it himself. He didn't want it to be any stunt photography or anything like that. And all that really plays into whole, all of this movie. Like I said, it's just such a, a team and collaborative effort to come together to make a great movie. It's a great example of it. And why I've always thought things like the film by credit is really bullshit a lot of the time because yeah. filmmaking is such a collaborative medium and effort. I, I mean, sure. I mean, Scorsese has ultimate hand and James Cameron is in control of everything, as was Kubrick, but not every movie is that way. A lot more movies are probably like this, to where a director is just trying to keep the the ship, you know, from going completely capsized. You know, that's all he's trying to do while you're trying to channel all this collective energy into something useful. And it, it, either way, without a real director, it got done on this movie. And I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So how's Tombstone start? Okay. We have a narrator, an old man. He was Robert supposed to actually be in this movie, but he had some health issues. Yeah, I, there's a lot. There's a, because of the production issues we talked about, there's a lot that was shot and cut and dropped. Yeah. That just doesn't make it in and just weird remnants of it. But He was supposed on. to play Sheriff. I forget his name, but he was supposed to play the Sheriff. Oh. Or the, or the Marshal in this, in this uh, the old man that gets shot. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that character. Yeah. yeah. You really got to go down with the character names. I know. Yeah. But you know how I roll. I know how you roll. I know how you roll. All right. So we have the narrator who gives a little history about Tombstone and the Old West and, you know, a little bit about... It's Fred White, the character I think you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, Fred White. Okay. Had to check. Yeah. Go ahead. Continue on. There's a Mexican wedding happening. The most Mexican wedding ever. And then a bunch of guys, cowboys, and red sashes, and our main bad guy, which... Is Curly Bill. Yeah. Curly Bill Brocious, a real guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was not the leader of the Cowboys, but he did ride with the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of 
hazy who's the leader because Johnny Cowboy, Ringo is kind of leading. The Cowboys too. weren't, they were organized crime, but they weren't like that organized. They just agreed like, hey, let's split some profits and do some criminal shit together. Like, sure, great. I mean, th- their whole criminal mastermind plan was to go south of the border, steal a bunch of fucking cattle and come back over here and sell it to, you know, shady cattle owners up here in, in the States. And they did that basically until the Mexican army sat out of the border and said, try it again, motherfucker. Which is what led to Tombstone, because they were basically said, okay, now we got to commit crimes here to make money. Hmm. And that's what led to this situation that we run into in the film. Very cool. Well, that's at least a historical back. I've done a real deep dive on this, guys. There is nothing that we don't do on this show that I'm not doing some research into. And I know you're about the same when it comes to your movie facts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, I've gone and read these books. I've listened to four hours of Wired Earp historical podcasts over the last two weeks. So, you know, I, I really have a great understanding of how things work to Tombstone well, at this good. point in time. That's good for our audience. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope I hope everybody appreciates because it's not easy work. Yeah, they actually kill pretty much the entire wedding party. They, yeah, they they slaughter everyone except for the bride, who it is implied that they probably rape. The yeah, I know they carry her off. Yeah, while well, she's like screaming, they're, they're, they're it's more than implied. Like they're groping yeah. at her. And they say like gross things as she's being as she's crying over her her, her new husband's corpse. Yeah, because originally they they make him kneel, but he 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 just he's like, no, I'm not going to kneel. Yeah, and then they shoot him in the shoot knees. Him in the knee, yeah, and he goes down. Yeah, and then he goes down, and then he's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do what you want me to do. Yeah, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. No, I mean it's not quite like that, but that is similar to how it it, it does occur. And he gets killed for it. Yeah, he does get shot. And like I said, his his fiance, pardon me, his wife gets dragged off, and it's all bad. Yeah, they. They start to have dinner. Already, this movie is way more interesting well, than the first 10 minutes. I, I think one of the main things this movie does is different is it actually sets up a bad guy for us. And I, that's yeah. something that, you know, the, the bad guy in the other movie was Wyatt Earp. I, I understand that was the point of the movie, is that he was his, like, worst enemy or whatever, but that's not necessarily very interesting. Yeah. Now, it can be, but they didn't pick a very interesting way to portray it. This movie, on the hand, goes a little bit more traditional with how it chooses to tell us the story. And we have a nice setup. We have bad guys doing bad guy shit. We see them and we understand these are low down, dirty criminals, killers. You know, they'll attack people, you know, whenever, as long as it's advantageous for them. And they shoot down the priest. Yeah. Right. As they're having. They do. Yeah. And he, the priest comes over and they shoot him down right there. There's a musical sting. as uh, Johnny Ringo puts him down. Yeah. Johnny Ringo talks about hell falling behind a man and some awesome things he's saying. Yeah, yeah, just more awesome. This, this movie's really well written. For the other, the fact the other movie was written by Lawrence Kasdan, it's amazing. This movie has a significantly better script. He speaks a lot of Latin. He he's, does, yeah. No, Johnny Ringo's the smart the smartest one in the bunch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By a significant margin, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, most definitely. How in blue fuck did they get Kurt Russell to be in this western? But you <laughs> answered that question. Yeah. Yeah. So Kurt Russell and Wyatt Earp is a, a match made in heaven, really. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Russell's, uh, this is one of the best performances of his career. And there's n- no way to put it. There's two career performances in this movie, and that really means something. Yeah. Val Kilmer's a fantastic actor, and, and Kurt Russell both really give career work. And honestly, this is one of the better performances of Michael, Michael Bean's career as well. Well, clearly, from what you told us earlier, they put their hearts into it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, they, they, really, they really cared about this film, you know. Yeah. You know, and they, 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 they were all into it. I don't know how much method was going on, but Michael Bean, uh, Michael Bean always said that he never, ever met Val Kilmer. He acted against Doc Holliday. That's the way he looked at every scene that he worked with Val Kilmer in. That wasn't Val. That was Doc Holliday. And, yeah. he, and you, you can see it. You get for it right up to the finale. 
you know, there, there's, you can see it. There, there's really great acting work here from a lot of guys who are, a lot of guys in this movie are genre actors, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's only a few really classy actors in this movie. Bill Paxton, Kurt Russell is a genre actor, you know, like all these guys, Billy Bob Thornton up to that point, you know, and now he's a, a now he's certainly a, a much classier kind of guy, but this movie made it work with people who aren't necessarily like Oscar caliber or that kind of award-winning actor. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting when the other movie went the other direction, except for Johnny Cage. Well, we're up to the point where Wyatt Earp and he's deciding he wants to move to Tombstone. Virgil shows up and he's played by Sam Elliott, who he's I fantastic. fucking love. Yes, and that's the thing, man. Like as great as Kurt Russell is, Sam Elliott is is there to trying to steal any scene Dude. he can from him. He's and, the best. He, and and I, I feel bad here because I don't think I think Michael Madsen was miscast as this part yeah. in the other film, but he completely shows up. His portrayal of Virgil as well. Yeah. But I mean, Virgil's such a nothing character in that three and a half hour opus. It's such a strange thing that how much, how much more important Virgil is in this narrative than he was to that other one. Mm-hmm. And then there's Morgan Earp, who is Bill Paxson. Bill Paxson. Game over, man. Yeah. We love God rest his soul. Bill Paxson. Yeah. Yeah. The late yeah. Bill Paxson. You know, what, what else can you say? Uh, Bill Paxson has been to some of my favorite movies. I absolutely love the guy. He's one of those actors I've never heard a bad thing about. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I miss me some Bill Paxton. That's all I'm saying. I miss old Bill Paxton. think of Wish all the stuff around. that he'd be in. Yeah. I, there's a lot of opportunities I think he would have had out there. I think he'd aged into a much finer actor as he got older. Yeah. Like, I think some of his best work is like a Nightcrawler, you know, a few years before he passed. You know, I think that's some of the best work of his career just as a performer. And like I said, I feel bad we didn't get to see how a guy like that really aged and became a, a different actor. It's, it's a real shame, real shame. Well, we also meet all the wives that it's more evident in the Wyatt Earp movie of the wives than it is in this movie. Yeah, And I do want to mention the fact this movie does give some attention to the wives. They do. It's, it's not like it's they're not completely like... ignored they're, I know they shot more and they dropped quite a bit of it, but this movie does pay attention to some of that element of the movie. And uh, I think that's a positive element and a very good thing that it does portray, but I do wish there was a little bit more of it. You know, the other movie I think did this a little bit better, especially with Catherine O'Hare. Catherine O'Hara, pardon me. And she's not a rabbit. <laughs> 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 but no, you know, I think that element was a little better done and wider, but that's one of the few things I can say were. Next, we meet a cool, calm, and collected gambler. And it's fucking Doc Holiday, played by Val Kilmer. Yeah, and he and Kurt Russell have great chemistry to start. And this this was a wise idea to make the movie's core story about their friendship. Like, that is the core element that binds all these things together in the movie, is that these two guys are friends. And were they, they really friends in be. real life? They were friends in real life. They absolutely were friends in real life. Hmm. I would say my very small knowledge of Western, yeah. like, characters mm-hmm. in history Um I knew of Doc Holliday, yeah. but I had not much heard about White Earp, and well, I, so I didn't know they were friends. Yeah, they really were friends. Uh, Doc Holliday had saved his life in an earlier instance, and he always respected Doc, and he never judged Doc, and they, they really, almost as close as what you'd see in the movie. There's a nice moment where Doc Holliday mentioned he doesn't have a lot of friends, and that would have been true. Doc Holliday was a rather abrasive person. He wasn't somebody who really, you know, racked up the buddies, you know? Even though he's a, a, by the way, a vicious killer, he only killed four people in his whole life. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Well, it's the legend. Sometimes that's much funner than what actually yeah. occurred. And we'll talk about it when we get there, but like they show the big raid at the end of the movie. And I think they only killed like six people in real life, mm. even though the movie shows like 50 cowboys going down. But it is one of those elements. They, they remained friends. They did have a falling out before their, uh, before Doc Holliday's uh, passing though, sadly. 
Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So the, the scene at the very end of the movie where they he wishes him goodbye was bullshit. That never occurred. Wow. They had already had a falling out by that point. Two prideful men, I guess. Yeah. The man he's playing cards with loses, obviously, to Doc Holliday. And he tries to kill him. But Doc Holliday gets the better of him and kills him with a knife. Yeah. Yeah. Doc is a cool, calculating son of a bitch. And mm. you need scenes to set up who your characters are early in the movie. Yeah. These are things that are drastic, that are amazingly important from, I'm trying to think of great character introduction. And this is one of those great character yeah. introductions. It really is because, I mean, this this is one of cinema's iconic antiheroes, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, he's right up there with Jules in Pulp Fiction or, you know, really just any kind of bad guy who you just want to root for. Yeah. And this is a great way to, to show his intelligence, his wit. His cunning. His cunning, yeah, and, and just the level of danger that he presents even though he is sick. Him and his woman escape with all the money. Yeah, they get out of there with everything. Mm-hmm. The herbs arrive in Tombstone and go to the to a meeting in town. Well, not a, a meeting. He goes to meet with some of the guys, like the sheriff and the yeah, marshal, yeah. the know-it-alls of the town. Yeah, they, they have to go meet with, uh, I guess, the upper crest of the town, the people who certainly do do run it. Wyatt's kind of curious about the cowboys with the red sashes. The sheriff tells him that they're they're no good business. Yeah, yeah. That's um, uh, Johnny Behan, by the way, is the name of the sheriff. Yeah. Behan is a little bit more of a, I guess, truer to real life in this version than he was. He was he was basically a heel in the other movie. Yeah. He, he actually was a bad guy. He necessarily wasn't a bad guy. There's Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's far more complicated than good guys and bad guys, really. Wyatt is at the saloon. And he notices the saloon is rather dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. there's nobody in there. Billy Bob Thornton shows up as an annoying gambler. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to bully his way into basically getting the hand that he wants. Yeah, and, and he's driving away business. The yeah. bartender tells Wyatt, yeah, that, that's the reason why there's nobody in there. There's this asshole. He's over there. He's driving everybody away. And Wyatt's like, I can take care of that. And he certainly does. This is a really cool scene because you have Kurt Russell going over there and not necessarily using a lot of violence, right? Just a couple of slaps. He's able to really intimidate him with just his look and his presence. And you completely buy it 100% from Kurt Russell. And that's Mm -hmm. what makes this performance of wider great is that's never something you really question. The fact that this guy is a really legitimate badass gunfighter. He treats that guy like a bitch, man. Yeah, he really does. He bitch slaps him. Yeah. You gonna do anything else but bleed? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he really embarrasses him. Yeah. Well, Wyatt goes outside with his brothers, and they're walking through town. And our little Weasley guy that gets bitch slapped shows back up and tries to shoot Wyatt. Yeah. But who stops him? But Doc Holliday. You would not believe this, but this is actually a real thing that happened. Really? Yes. This is how he basically got his gig at the Oriental. Was the same way, dealing with a gambler in that same manner and respect, and then treating him like a bitch when he came to shoot him. Oh, wow. Like, acting like, you're not, you're too big of a bitch to even shoot me in the back. And he turned his back to him, and that was it. So they actually based this off a real thing that did occur. Wow. Wyatt Earp was a legit badass. He really was. He may have been a criminal, but he also was a badass. Cool. Yeah. He was a whoremonger. Doc Holliday stops him and makes him give up his gun. Yeah, he just has him, like, drop it on the ground, right? He's like, no, no, leave that. <laughs> it's 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 all really good stuff. Like the way they embarrass Billy Bob is, is is a good fun scene. This movie has a good sense of fun to it, as well as being able to deliver all the dramatic beats that you want in the story of the OK Corral. You get a little bit of the chemistry between 
Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer where Wyatt calls the sheriff over to meet Doc Holliday. And he's yeah. like, God damn it, Wyatt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last person in the world he wants yeah. to meet is the fucking law. Uh, two guys come out shooting of a bar and they end up knowing Wyatt and Doc. Yeah. And then we get to meet the woman, his lady love, the one that entrances him. This is um and Billy Zane, by the way. Yeah, this no, we're not talking about Billy about Zane. It. We're not talking about Billy Zane. You can't forget about that's the real love story. Me and Billy Zane in this movie. That's the love story. Yeah, y'all don't know, but he's in love with Billy Zane. Mm. <laughs> no, I, I do love Billy Zane. And listen, nothing can ever stop that love. And and one day we'll talk about a demon knight on the show, his best performance ever. <laughs> And, and we'll, it's not a reboot. I don't care. We'll talk about it anyway. And we could go over everything, but he's really good in this. And I think he adds a, a little bit to the movie. You know, just every actor delivers something in this movie. Mm-hmm. That to it. And Billy Zane does as well as, as an outlandish, you know, uh, late 19th century actor, really good stuff. But Dana Delaney uh, shows up here in the film. And this is the introduction of our love story, which obviously does not get as much attempt. does not get as much time, pardon me, as in Wyatt Earp. But I think her portrayal as jo- of Josephine, I think, is infinitely more likable. And she has much more chemistry with Kurt Russell in much less time. And that is yeah. what's desperately important. She just has a lot of life to her character. Dana Delaney is a really underrated actress. I have always really, really liked Dana Delaney. 67, by the way, today. So I, I think from like East of Eden, which is, I mean, uh, which is a movie that I, I never, ever should have seen. As a kid, uh, that she was in and naked in quite a bit. <laughs> or exit to Eden, pardon me. And that was after this. She's also in uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. She played the Phantasm in that movie, which is another reason I possibly love Dana oh, Delaney. Oh, shit. I didn't yeah, know that, that. that's that's Dana Delaney. Yeah. And so I've always appreciated her work, and I've always looked forward to seeing her. She's done a lot of the animated work over the years. I'm just a fan of hers. And she. this is one of the movies that really cemented that for me. She's great here. All of them, the White Brothers and... Even the bad guys, Curly Bill, that's his name. Curly Bill. Curly, Curly Bill. Yeah. They're all at the theater. And I forget the name of the theater. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But they're, they're watching the theater and there's a-, a They cre- watch all the acts. They shoot indoors, which is, by the way, even as wild as Tombstone was, they, nobody was allowed to shoot indoors. Actually, this, this happened in real life. Oh, really? Yeah. The first act of the juggler and he, the- yeah, Curly Bill shoots it. Yeah. That, that was actually an act. And the guy, when he leaves the stage, he says, they're actually shooting at us. He actually, that's the same guy actually said that. Okay. Well, very cool. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They all watch the acts and the cowboys shoot the, their guns. Wyatt's lady love is in the play and she reveals herself as she's the devil. Mm. And he's immediately, he's, he's, he's entranced once he's again. He's entranced. Yeah. Forgetting his own hooker wife. Wyatt and Maddie end up getting into a bit of a dust up. Maddie is his drug addict his hooker wife, wife. Yeah, his hooker wife. She's he's reading the works of Robert Ludlum. Mm-hmm. He's going through all the Born Identity books. Yeah, that's not what it is. It's no, it's Laudanum. Laudanum, Laudanum. I've never read his books. <laughs> <laughs> What's he write? How does fine novels too? No. Okay. Is it a debilitating drug? Yes, it, w- it was. It was. Yeah. I, you no more me, I, Laudanum anymore. I can't get any Laudanum anymore. No. Oh, what a jit, man. Fucking fucking government. Thanks thanks a lot, cancel probably, culture. It's probably a lot like morphine. I have no, I should have googled what Ludlum was. Yeah. I just wanted to make Robert Ludlum jokes. She's all <laughs> that high. Robert Ludlum market. I'm sorry. Continue on. She's all high as shit. She's high as fuck. And she wants him to stay. She wants Wyatt to stay with her. Yeah. But he wants to go out with the boys. 
Yeah, he just wants to party. He goes to the bar and Doc grills him about about her, his lady love. Yeah, yeah. Doc has to know a little bit more about it, which I, I like in their in their friendship. Yeah. This is a little fun scene. Not everything has to be incredibly dramatic. You know, and I don't keep meaning to harp on the other movie. I feel like I feel like that Simpsons gif, it's already dead. You know, that's kind of how I look at it at this point. But it's one of those things to mention, like the movie didn't take time to have a lot of fun. And this movie does every now and then have a little smile on its face, mm-hmm. which is interesting. His lady love shows up to the bar with Billy Zane. And then the cowboys show up, Ringo and Curly Bill. And Doc Holliday antagonizes him a little bit. And then we have a funny scene where Ringo demonstrates his pistol abilities, his yes. slinging of his guns and stuff. And he does this whole show. Yeah. And then uh, Doc Holliday basically embarrasses him. Yeah, like, yeah. T- I think he's got a cup in his hand. Yeah, he has a little cup in his a hand. A little shot cup. He pretends to do the same yeah. kind of spinning motions with the cup. <laughs> Gets a big laugh from the audience. Mocks his performance. Yeah. Then they they end up going away. Curly Bill diffuses the situation and pulls Ringo away before which he is does a lot anything of what, stupid. Which is a lot of what Curly Bill has to really do in the movie, right? Yeah. Like, he has to keep Ringo re- really, like, in check. Yeah. Because Ringo's really to just fly at the drop of a hat and just start start killing some people. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Wyatt's lady love is... Creaming in her pants as she's watching all this going on. Is this the technical term? She's creaming in her pants? She's creaming in her pants. Creaming in her pants. (laughs) Wearing a dress, but she's creaming her pants anyway. (laughs) We have a a scene where Riot... (laughs) I can't talk tonight. Yeah, I know. Let's try it one more time. Take two. (laughs) Wyatt is riding his horse and he sees his lady love. So we're at like next day and they're riding around on their horses yeah. and they run into each other mm-hmm. like kismet. You can say Josephine, you know, going lady love. I like calling her lady, lady love. love. <laughs> she challenges him to a race and he loses his will to fight against his attraction to her. And who can blame him? They end up in a, in like a, a clearing and they ha- have kind of like a picnic. And yeah. this is where she asks him if he's happy. And he gets all weird because he's like, nobody's ever really asked me that before. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever asked him like a question of any substance before at all. But it's interesting how they choose to portray her. Like, she's smart and she's certainly willing to challenge Wyatt like at every step. Granted, we don't get a lot of time with her, but we are able to gain a lot from her character and her limited screen time. Yeah, she's like a feminist for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's a strong woman that Wyatt Earp could certainly respect and appreciate, which she was in real life. She was violently protective of his image after death. Hmm. Clearly, considering how these movies turned out. Yeah. Very, very much hero worship of Wyatt Earp, which may or may not be true. Wyatt ends up coming home to his wife, and he tries to connect with her. Because he, while he's talking to his lady love. Um, Josephine. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about, she talks about this, like, going off and doing room service. Yeah, just and living off room service li- in the hotel. Just living life. Yeah. And so he goes home to his wife, who's high as shit. Yeah, she's high as fuck. She's been, yeah. she's been reading the Born Supremacy all day. <laughs> she's stoned out of her mind on spy espionage intrigue. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> no one's gonna get this fucking joke. So, no. <laughs> so yeah, she's she's been taking her her laudlum, and she just she's weirded out by him trying to be kind of cute and loving with her. Yeah, he tries to connect with her, and she's just like. Mm. Ugh. Get that out of here. Get what do you mean here. room service? Yeah. What are you yeah. talking about? I want to, I want laudlum. 
Yeah, he's like, just give me some drugs. That's what I need. I don't need room service. They got, they got, they got heroin in that room service. <laughs> then we have a scene with Curly Bill, mm-hmm. and he is outside of a saloon. He's fucked up on opium. So drunk. Uh, even though in real life, the thing was probably just drunk as fuck. Yeah, and he's shooting his gun at everyone and everything. You and can only, you can only shoot your guns wildly if you're in the middle of a play. That's the only time you can do it in Tombstone. He shoots the marshal, who's beloved by the town folk. He chose, goes to try to disarm him. Wyatt knocks him out, and his buddies want Wyatt to cut him loose, but he won't. I think it's Ike that's... Yeah, Ike Clanton is the one who says, cut him loose, and gets right in Wyatt's face about it until Wyatt puts his gun right in his forehead. And immediately, Ike knows, nah, man, he's gonna kill me. <laughs> yeah. It's time to back off, boys. And this is fairly close to how it happened historically. He came out, and he was shooting. They shot the sheriff accidentally. Then the movie does show that he doesn't actually like take a gun and put it in his chest and, and shoot him. It does kind of go off his hand into him. And that appears to be what happened in real life. And he was laid out by Wyatt Earp. And the Cowboys wanted him to be released and Wyatt Earp didn't give a shit. They took him to trial anyway. Or he was acquitted. Virgil saves the day. The true hero of the story. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. The one who actually had a lot of like law. Yeah. Virgil, Virgil had the real law experience of, yeah. of the trio. Well, I say trio, there were more brothers, but we only get three in the movie, which is fine. You don't, you don't need to introduce like six brothers or five. Ike threatens the Earps and they just blow it off. Yeah. Morgan and Wyatt are talking and Virgil and Morgan are playing pool. So that's the next scene. There's a woman Virgil sees in town with a gnarly scar on her face. Yeah. So like there's this moment after this, and this is basically what this sequence, and this is Pure fiction, by the way. The, the Earp brothers, by the time this occurred, were already working in law enforcement. But in the movie, this is, once the sheriff dies, this is their call to action to sort of, do we want to go into law enforcement here? And Virgil is walking the streets, and he sees this kid almost run over, has to save from the cowboys, when the cowboys are just riding through town all wildly. And he sees that woman with that scar on her face, you know? And that's mm-hmm. when he decides that this town needs to be cleaned up. Mm-hmm. He's had enough. The, the lawman comes out of retirement. And yes, it is fiction, but I, I think it's well done. I think it's a good way to show that an honorable man sometimes has, just has to step up and do the right thing. And that's what Virgil's all about. Virgil and Wyatt get into an argument about this fact. Yeah, because we, we cut immediately to like him trying to nail up the the gun control bit. Yeah. And you know Wyatt is like, what are you doing? We're here to make money. We can't make money and be, be in law enforcement too. Yeah. Which is not true. Really. You got rich in law enforcement back in the Old West. Morgan also is joining the the whole, he's joining Virgil. He wants to be a lawman as well. Yeah, there's a great thing where Wyatt is going back and forth with Virgil, and he looks to his brother and says, will you talk some sense into him? Only to have Bill Paxton open his shirt to show that he's also a, he's also a sheriff. So yeah. they're both against him, which is a cute scene that I like. That's a cute little moment from, from brothers. I like that. Wyatt goes to the bar where his lady love is singing. Mm-hmm. Josephine. And Dog Holiday is playing cards with Ike, who is really drunk. And so is Dog Holiday, but still wins at cards. But Ike is pissed. Yeah, so Doc's just on a bender, but still winning cards because he's a smart guy. He's great at cards, what he does. He's a legendary gambler. He's such a good gambler, people think he's a great killer. Yeah, and he was a good <laughs> gambler in real life. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely was. That's what, what he was really famous for back in the day. I was in dentistry. Yeah, yeah, he was a dentist. Yeah, he, went, he was a dentist. Yeah, that's really what he did. That's how it's, that's not just a nickname. He actually was a doctor. Yeah, no, I, I like this where he continues to play cards and he embarrasses Ike 
And and this has such a snowball effect, this embarrassing of Ike Clanton. Mm-hmm. Doc ends up passing out after he deals with Ike. Yeah. And Ike's like, basically like, this is not the same Doc holiday if you're falling around on the floor and stuff like that. Yeah. So Virgil surprises Ike after he boasts he's going to kill everyone. But Erp knocks him out again. Yeah. He really is talking a lot of noise, which is... I mean, kind of similar to what, what occurred, but, you know, a little bit different. But this is basically the, the main issue is he was making threats against the herbs. Yeah, and they, he threatens that they have a fight coming their way. The doctor gives Doc Holiday two years or two minutes to live. Yeah, it's not a good prognosis is the no. shorthand, basically. Doc Holiday is going to die soon. He lost 60% of his lung tissue from tuberculosis. Yeah, he's absolutely been devastated by it. Yeah. And then I don't know what comes over Wyatt, but he gets sworn in. Yeah. He does finally become an official sheriff in the town. Then we have this cool scene where it's the next day and Herbs and Holiday are walking down the road, like all hero-like. They're all just in a row and they're just walking down the road. Yeah, it's a really cool shot. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're going for Ike and his fellow cowboys. So, yeah, they've heard Ike talking a lot of noise about wanting to kill them. Mm-hmm. And this has led to them wanting to disarm the cowboys that are there. And and for the most part, things occur almost naturally to, to, as, as they did in, in real life. This is kind of how it was. There was there was talk that Ike was uniting with the cowboys. Who Ike Clanton in real life wasn't a part of the cowboys. He just was a known associate. But otherwise, it, it does ring true for the most part. The, the herbs were interested in disarming them. Now, whether the herbs wanted to have a massacre and kill them all, that remains to be, will never ever be truly known. But this is how it goes. Shooting begins in its absolute chaos. Morgan gets shot. Ike takes cover indoors and then shoots from there. So I do want to mention here that Ike Clanton, in real life, and it's portrayed accurately in both films, when the shooting begins, immediately throws his hands up and says, I'm unarmed, I'm unarmed, which Wyatt Earp does grab him and say, get out of here, basically. And he does run into the photography studio to hide. Now, in real life, he did not shoot out again from the photography studio. That's an invention of the movie. But that event absolutely did occur, and it's what saved the herbs. They have a huge gunfight. And the big thing is, I heard Kurt Russell talk about this, is that Earp was never hit. Kurt Russell always thought that's because Earp stood perfectly still. He let everyone else run in the chaos, and he just stood there and took his shots. And because he stood still, no one's eyes were drawn right towards him in the chaos. Mm -hmm. And he believes that that's why Wyatt Earp survive without taking a single gunshot in the madness of the shootout in the OK Corral. It's a good theory. Yeah, that's what Kurt Russell believes. And you know what? I'm inclined to believe him. He's done the research. The only thing the movie really gets wrong about the actual fight is the alley behind the OK Corral was 15 feet at maximum. And this thing is like, what, 40, 50 feet? Mm -hmm. You could fit 50 men in there to fight. Yeah. So, But it makes for cooler camera shots, but that's not how it worked in, in real life. The other movie is far more accurate in that respect. Virgil gets shot in the ankle. Then they kill pretty much everyone. And the Cowboys, they have all their funerals. Yeah, yeah. So this was a big deal. The movie really glosses over what is the most important aspect of the aftermath, which is the trial. The Earths were put on trial for murdering the Cowboys, basically. And as I mentioned before, the Cowboys testified, and I claim that the Earths went there to completely disarm them and didn't go there to, did not go there to disarm them, but to murder them. The thing was, Ike Clanton didn't have a weapon on him and was not shot dead. And he was the one who threatened Wyatt Earp personally. Wyatt Earp turned to get the hell out of there. And that's what ended up saving the Earps in the trial. Yeah. Is that 
they spared him. If they wanted to kill them all, they would have shot him dead right there too. So th- that's what spared them. And, and they don't get any issues. You see a little bit of the trial in the other movie, but it's weirdly poorly covered. It's more confusing than what I just tried to tell you. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah you could, you really couldn't get a gauge of how they're scot-free or anything like that other than just cause, but that's, we shouldn't talk about that stupid movie anymore. This movie glosses over it, and I can understand why you want to keep things action-focused, but that is a very important part of the real story. But that element of Ike Clanton getting out, that's very big to show, and I'm glad that both movies carried that moment perfectly. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's a big deal to show that Wyatt Earp was not a bloodthirsty killer. The Earps walk through town again, and Ringo's there, and he stops them because he's drunk. Very, very drunk. Yeah. What do you want, Ringo? I want your blood. And I want your soul. And I want them both right now. I love that one. I don't want any more trouble. Well, you got trouble! And it starts with you. I'm not going to fight you, Ringo. There's no money in it. Sober up. Come on, boys. Wretched slugs. Don't any of you have the guts to play for blood? I'm your huckleberry. Yeah. <laughs> so he comes in with that iconic line, I'm your huckleberry. I love it. Yeah, so which which much. really became the line after the everybody quoted after this film. It was quoted still quoted today. It was Even quoted for my mom quoted this. Yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. A kid. I remember her saying it so much. It's a cool ass line. Yeah. It's a cool ass line in a cool ass movie. They stop Ringo from making a bad decision. Yeah, you, you have to see Brocious. Curly Bill yeah, Curly Bill has to restrain him as a fun line. What are you guys going to do when Ringo has to run this operation? Which mm-hmm. well, we don't have to find out. <laughs> yep. The next scene is the Earps inside during a thunderstorm. It's nighttime. Yeah, they're at the Oriental and they're just sort of playing cards back and forth. Yeah. Virgil enters. Yeah, Virgil comes in. He's basically like, hey, guys, I'm going off to bed. Yeah. And so he starts walking home. Then someone comes in where the Earp's wives are staying and shoots up the place. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of, it doesn't really shoot necessarily any of them, but just causes havoc. Yeah. Virgil comes back to the place where they are. They're staying the, the theater. I think you said they were at the theater. Yes, yeah, the theater. And passes out because he's been shot in the arm. So he comes back in and they're talking to Virgil. Virgil isn't responding. He does a dramatic turnaround to show the bloody arm. and goes Yeah. In, in real life, this, th- these events didn't occur so close together. But I, I do love how this is portrayed through the stormy night and everything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to immediately take him to get treated. And we get the same information that is, is given to us in the previous movie that his arm is almost destroyed. Mm-hmm. It should be amputated, but he's just going to be crippled from it. And he does deliver the same thing that the real Virgil said in real life, which is, I still have one good arm to hug you with as he holds his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved his wife. He really did. And, and so they capture that. That sad, Well, it doesn't end Virgil's career as a lawman, but it does end his career as a lawman for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does. He doesn't really take part in any, any more of the, the fire of the shenanigans from this moment on as he is severely wounded. Morgan, he gets shot. Yeah, so after this, Morgan's the upset. They're playing pool, which is what occurred in real life. He was playing pool and was shot. The doctor tries to dig out the bullet out of his back, but he just can't get it. Yeah. Morgan dies just a little bit later. Yeah. 
I reckon I've played my last pool game, I think, were his last words. Yeah. He does ask for his wife. And this is Bill Paxton's really good acting. Yeah, yeah. This is a good scene. I, I love the way this is played with the surgeon trying to pull that out of him, trying to do what he can to save him. But, you know, it's just agony, horrible pain. Wyatt's been holding him down. And he, after he dies, he just gets up and he looks at his hands covered in blood. Yeah, all the blood on his hands, literally. He goes outside in the rain and his lady love comes up to him and he just tells her to go away. Yeah. And she does. He's like, I'm no good. I'm a killer. This is my brother's blood on my hands. And he, he just cries out in pure anguish in half of a thunderstorm. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed, but it's like not raining five feet behind him. His wife is, <laughs> his wife looks at him as well and turns his back on her or turns her back on him. Yeah. Next day, the herbs are leaving town in front of all the cowboys who basically mock them. Yeah. yeah. Well, bye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a you see that gift posted a lot online. Like I said, the movie is it's still culturally relevant, which is really impressive. If you think about it. Virgil and the women are off, but Wyatt stays behind su- to surprise Ike and Stillwell, who tried to meet them at the train station. This seems way overplayed in the other scene in the other movie, but this is a really cool sequence where he comes up and takes a little bit of revenge on the cowboys here with a surprise, and he does deliver that great line. Hell's coming with me. You tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. Yeah. I'd love that, you know. I said that before I'm about to do anything. Wyatt and gang get about killing everyone with a red sash, basically. Yeah, yeah. This is a big montage here where they're just, like, running through, like, all the Old West, killing, like, 50 or 60 guys. I know I know. there's more of it later, but I'm just saying, like, it seems like they kill, like, they literally wipe out every cowboy who ever lived, mm-hmm. right? That's what it seems like. In reality, they only killed, like, six people. But it, it is a fun scene. Girly Bill tries to ambush Wyatt and his gang, but he just, it's a, it's a cool scene because Wyatt or, or Kurt Russell, he gets up and he's like, no, yeah. no, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's so cheesy. Yeah. It's so cheesy and hilarious in the middle of this sort of serious movie. Oddly enough, it doesn't really help the movie, but it does give it a memorable moment. Yeah, because he, he just shoots at everybody. He doesn't get shot. So I want you to know 100% legit that is what happened. Wow. They were pinned down. Wider just got up and walked right at Curly Bill. Walked right at him with a shotgun as he fired at him over and over, missing. And he fired point blank right into his chest and killed him right there. And the other cowboys were like, holy fucking shit, and took off. Because this story doesn't come from the guys with Wyatt Earp. The cowboys who survived this are the ones that said Earp walked right up to him and shot him like he walked on water. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's what they said. Like, he just, he wasn't hit at all. Earp was never, was, Earp was never ever shot. Wyatt Earp was never hit by a bullet hmm. his, his entire life. <laughs> it's wild to think about how many gunfights yeah. he was in. He never got hit and by a bullet. Living in the bullet. Old West. Yeah, exactly. And then, unfortunately, babe, Billy Zane dies. <sighs> Why? Why? I, I only have one thing to say when Billy Zane dies. No! <laughs> that's, that's me shooting whoever you killed Billy shoot Zane. You shoot your guns. Yeah, so I shoot my guns into the air. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene where they're spying on Ringo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're trying to figure out... How to approach him. Yeah, because now that Curly Bill is dead, Ringo is the leader of the Cowboys. This mm-hmm. is his brief time as, as their leader. Uh, we have a scene where Doc falls off his horse, so he's getting really sick. Yeah, he, he really has reached the, the, the end of his rope here. He, he's, it looks as though he really is at death's door, and so they have to go seek shelter. And this is where we get another cool cameo. Yeah, man. Charlton fucking Heston. 
Yeah, that is, is incredibly right. We get Charlton Heston here, and he shows up basically as this ranch owner who's willing to take in Doc Holliday and help them for a day, basically. And only one day, as he said, you can't, can't stay any longer, but you can stay the night. And then it's Wyatt's lady love. She stopped at the same place as him. What are the odds, right? Yeah. What are the Kismet. odds? So they're able to share a brief moment together. Mm-hmm. Real brief. But it does, it, says, it does set into play everything for him. And, and what's at stake? Because there is a finality to everything Wyatt is doing at this point. Mm-hmm. Because he knows he's going to have to face Ringo at some point. That's the best gunfighter in the West. The gang is all out talking. And they see one of the cowboys come up. And it's, it, they have something that they've been dragging behind their horse. And it turns out to be McMaster's. Yeah. And the cowboy tells Wyatt to meet Ringo at this a certain time and place to fight. And then we have this cool scene where Doc tells Wyatt he can't beat Ringo in a gunfight. Yeah, and, and Wyatt's basically like, it doesn't matter. It still has to be fought. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We have a scene where Ringo is, is meeting at the place where they're supposed to fight. And he's there first. And... Wyatt's, meanwhile, he's like game planning for this whole thing, like how they're going to do this. Yeah, the, the, these two sequences back and forth are intercut together where you see Wyatt preparing as Ringo is already there, sort of ready to spring his trap on Wyatt. And so we're led to believe that when we see a shadowy figure behind Ringo, that that's going to be Wyatt Earp, his face covered in darkness as he steps in front of the sun. Yeah, and then I'm your Huckleberry Hits. Exactly, and it's revealed to be the Doc Holiday. And it's Holiday. Yeah, the one person... The only person. Who could beat him. Yeah. And, even, and Ringo's immediately scared. Yeah. Because even Ringo early in the film doesn't want to fight Doc Holliday. Yeah. He's, he's, no, that's the only guy that might be faster than I am. The only guy who I know is crazier than I am. Yeah. And Doc Holliday kills Ringo. He's just yeah. faster than him. Yeah. He, he pulls his gun out and he shoots him right in the temple, which is how he died. Now, he was not necessarily killed by Doc Holliday. No one knows. I'll, I'll go knows. over that. Oh, okay. 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 Nobody knows that, but still. Yeah. But yeah, he, he is shot there and Doc Holliday mocks him as he goes down <laughs> and he throws his, um, his badge right on top of him mm-hmm. as Wyatt Earp comes onto the scene to discover what has happened, that his friend has once again saved his ass one, yeah. time, one last time. And then they go about killing more cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, this is the second half of the montage. They ride through killing more cowboys. There's a scene at the very end where Ike Clanton gives up his sash. Yeah, they go after Ike. And rides off into the sunset, even though he was killed a brief time later. Wyatt goes to visit Doc Holliday in the hospital, and they have a really nice moment together. Yeah, they do. They have a nice final send-off. He gives him a little thing, my friend Doc Holliday. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they just have a, a great little moment together, a perfect send-off for their relationship. You know, this movie was smart to put the heart of its movie in these two characters, because they play off each other so well. And as I said, you're giving, you have two actors giving career work here. And the idea they based that the movie just around that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It works out beautifully. Beautifully. Doc Holliday asked Wyatt to leave if he ever was his friend. And he does. And Doc Holliday dies quietly later. Yeah. It's a nice little touching sequence and I, and I really like it. Before he dies, though, he does tell Wyatt to go after his lady love. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he certainly does, and, and that's what Wyatt really does, even though they're, they're falling out happened because of the woman. Oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't Big Nose Kate? No, no, no. It was because, it was because um, Josephine was Jewish. Mm. What did that have to do with it? Well, apparently, what's-his-face is anti-Semitic, Doc. Oh, really? Yeah, and he made a lot of Jew, Jew jokes towards Wyatt Earp about it, and Wyatt Earp got 
sore about it. So they never spoke again. Oh, wow. Apparently that is what the issue was. That's what most people believe. At least report in time to say a lot of negative things about her Jewish heritage. Well, that's how the movie ends. The narrator comes in and wraps everything up. And- he ties Robert Meacham comes in, ties everything in a nice little bow. He talks about how an early silent Cowboys star, a uh, silent movie uh, star uh, wept as he was his pallbearer. Because uh, Wyatt Earp lived in L.A. and was, uh, well, I mean, he, Wyatt Earp did a lot of things. And he was trying to get his story told and get his image rehabilitated um, for a number of years. Wyatt Earp lived to be quite old. You know, he went to the Alaska Gold Rush and came back to to L.A. to do all sorts of stuff like that. He got involved in a nasty um, uh, boxing match scandal where they thought he was part of throwing a fight. So, you know, Wyatt Earp lived a a really fascinating life. It's amazing all the things he did in his time. He was a a pimp. That's not even a joke. He really was a pimp. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's where he met his wife. Hmm. The the one who couldn't stop reading the born identity. Yeah. um, Miley. Millie. Maddie. Maddie. Close enough. It was an M something. Okay. So here are some facts. Lay it on me. The line quoted by Doc at the end of the fight at the OK Corral is historically true. Yes. And was reported in the Tombstone Papers. Absolutely, yeah. When confronted by one of the cowboys at point blank range, the cowboys reportedly said, I got you now, Doc, you son of a bitch. To which Doc gleefully retorted, you're a daisy if you do. And that is reported. And then he mocks Ringo with that mm-hmm. at the very end. Some years after the death of Doc Holliday, Wyatt was quoted as saying, Doc was a dentist, not a lawman or an assassin, whom necessity had made a gambler, a gentleman who, is, who disease had made a frontier vagabond, a philosopher whom life had made a caustic wit, a long, lean, ash-blonde fellow nearly dead with consumption, and at the same time, the most skillful gambler and the nerviest, speediest, deadliest man with a six gun that I ever knew. <laughs> now, that certainly can hold true. That does sound like something wider definitely would have said. Even if they did have a falling out, I know there were other quotes like that where he had nice things to say about Doc Holliday and everybody. He probably else. regretted them. Not but, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes you have fights with people and, you know, you're like, well, we'll make up someday and it never happens. So maybe that's yeah. his way of saying that. You know, it's just the way it works, you know. Val Kilmer practiced for a long time on his quick draw speed and gave his character a Southern aristocratic accent. The Southern accent is actually authentic touch as Holly Holiday was a cousin of Margaret Mitchell, author of Gone with the Wind. Yeah, he was a Southern gentleman, so that's pretty spot on. And I think his accent work has done well in both movies. I was unaware until I was watching this week, Dennis Quaid got an Oscar nomination for that. Oh, damn. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Now, he, I imagine he barely got any votes, but... Yeah. I'm assuming Oscar voters were confused by the by the Doc Holliday part. Yeah. <laughs> he got Val Kilmer votes instead. Wyatt Earp became a consultant for the motion, motion picture industry, advising on Westerns after he moved to Hollywood in yeah. 1915. He frequently visited the sets of several silent films directed by John Ford. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it, the John Ford knew Wyatt Earp, you know, you're not really that far away from a generation that knew, like, the Wild West generation. Yeah. It, I mean, I know it is so a long crazy. ways off, but it, it, it really is weird to think it wasn't, like, that far away. That no. Somebody who was a legitimate Wild West cowboy talked to the man who made all the great movies about the Wild West cowboys. Willem Dafoe was the original choice for Doc Holliday, but Buena Vista refused to distribute the film if he was cast doing due to Defoe's role in The Last Temptation of Christ. You know, that could have worked really well as well. I'm glad it went the way it did, but I can certainly see how that could have gone as well. I think Will and Defoe could have been a brilliant Doc Holliday. 
When Virgil returns to the saloon and collapses after being shot, Kurt Russell accidentally bangs Sam Elliott's head on the bar as he lifts him to lay him flat on the floor. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, I that was a good that. catch. That was a good catch. Yeah. <laughs> the participants at the OK Corral were Virgil, Morgan, and Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday versus Tom and Frank McClory, Billy and Ike Clanton, and Billy Claiborne. Prior to being allied to the Cowboys in Arizona, Sherman McMaster was a Texas Ranger. He met Curly Bill Brocius when he was a prisoner under McMaster's Ranger Division. Curly Bill escaped from prison in 1877, allegedly with McMaster's help. He rode with the Cowboys suspected of being involved with a stage robbery and horse theft until changing allegiances to join the Earps in 1881, prior to the fight in Go-OK Corral. Yeah. Some accounts indicated he may have been working undercover for the Texas Rangers to break up the outlaw cowboys. It's a possibility. It really is. There was a lot of wild stuff going on back then in that respect. And my favorite fact of this whole thing. In reality, Johnny Ringo did not die at the hands of Doc Holliday. On July 4th, 1882, Ringo's body was found lying against the trunk of a tree in West Turkey Creek Valley near Chiricahua, peak in Arizona territory. A neighboring property owner heard a single gunshot on the afternoon of July 13th and discovered Ringo's body the following day. There was a bullet hole in his right temple and an exit wound at the back of his head. His revolver had, been, had one round expended and was found hanging by one finger in his hand. His horse was found two miles away with his boots still tied to the saddle. His body is buried near the base of the tree where it was discovered. Yeah, so it is believed that he did kill himself. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. It is it's not 100%, so there is a chance Doc Holliday could have murdered him. Unlikely, but there, there is a chance he could have been gunned down by somebody else, obviously. But it, it certainly would, if you're following the evidence, it would seem as though he did indeed uh, kill himself. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, it's more dramatic in the movie, and that's fine. That's Movies are movies. Yeah. You ready for review? I want to. I want to hear your one star review. Well, I, I've rephrased. It's not your one star review. It's just a one star. Yeah. Review. Tombstone got a four point seven on user review, a seventy two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and a seven point eight out of ten on IMDb. And he, most of the one star reviews, um, what had a lot in common, they loved the Kevin Costner version. Oh, really? Yeah. So wider. Do you think these are Kevin Costner plants? I have. They could be. They <laughs> do you very think well Kevin Costner's be. playing the long petty game over years? Like, I'm going to change my opinion on wider. Because one online review at a time. <clears throat> that was definitely something they hadn't done. He's putting the Yellowstone money to use. This review is called Perhaps the Last Greatly Overrated American Western. After finally viewing this film in its entirety, I am completely mystified by the admiration it has received by critics and online users alike. Is it the worst Western ever? No, I wouldn't say that. But the last great American Western. A phrase I saw applied to it more than once. Not even close. A movie that tries to tell a story like this needs believable characters that speak believable dialogue. And the dialogue in the film is among the most hackneyed, and cliched that I've ever seen. The movie can be measured in groaners per minute, as in how many times is an actor or actress forced by the script to say something that no human being would say in their real life. There are so many instances of this that it's distracting. 
Cheesy lines come at you in waves, predictable, unoriginal, and often. If bad dialogue doesn't bother you, then how about bad gunfights? Few Westerns can show you gunfighting that completely unbelievable while desperately trying to make you take the action seriously. It's okay if there's a comic edge to such gunfighting, such as Silverado, but in Tombstone, the very stage and very stiff choreography of the early gunplay is just another reason to leave this movie off the list of good westerns. The final showdown somewhat redeems the director on this score, but by then, I was so disinterested in the movie that it was beyond saving. Other than those flaws, I can say the visuals are stunning, the movie's well shot, and the settings all look great. The acting is passable, especially considering what the actors were given to work with. (laughs) However, if you're looking for the last great American Western, do yourself a favor. Go rent Unforgiven instead. (laughs) Well, that that would be another great Western of the 90s. But yeah, and listen, I will say this movie doesn't have one, uh, not a single cheesy line in it at all. No! (laughs) (laughs) Listen, the movie's got some cheese to it, but it manages to pull it all together to work. Like I said, sometimes movies are better than the sum of their parts. And it's 90s, too. Yeah, I mean, there's always some things that are going to be dated, even though that was cheesy when it came out in 1993. But listen, hey, we didn't have a real director. What are you going to do? Right? Yeah. So, yeah, with that, you know, we, we, we got the reviews in. We, we've talked about Tombstone and Wyatt Earp, and we managed to cover... Oh, wait. That's right. In the year of our Lord, 1993, Roger was very much alive! And he did not actually review Tombstone when it came out. Because they hid it from critics. Which is something I never would have expected. Disney had absolutely zero faith in this movie. Huh. They actively tried to make sure critics didn't watch it. So I, when I Googled like reviews of it from major critics at the time, very few reviewed it, and I didn't know why. And I didn't realize it until I found this Ebert and Roper clip, which I never would have, pardon me, this Ebert and Siskel clip, which I never would have guessed I had the review of Tombstone on it because it's way too late. But that's actually what it is. Very good. We didn't review Tombstone when it was released late in the holiday season because we couldn't get a screening in time to include it on the year's last review program. So we thought we'd have to give it a pass. But then a strange thing started to happen. People started telling me they really liked Val Kilmer's performance in Tombstone. I heard this everywhere I went. When you hear that once or twice, it's interesting. When you hear it a couple of dozen times, it's a trend. And when you read that Bill Clinton loved the performance, you figure you'd better catch up with the movie. And that's what I did a couple of days ago. Gene had already seen it. I knew going in that Tombstone had a troubled history with the first director getting fired and the screenplay undergoing rewrites during shooting. But what I wasn't prepared for was what a strong and effective movie emerged from all of that creative chaos. Here's a key moment from the famous gunfight at the OK Corral scene. Kurt Russell plays Wyatt Earp and Val Kilmer is a tubercular but sardonic Doc Holliday. Oh my God. Kilmer is indeed brilliant in this film. Bill Clinton makes a pretty good movie critic. Kilmer creates a dying man who keeps going mostly on willpower and a stubborn streak of humor. But Kurt Russell's performance is also wonderful as the two men create an understated but unshakable friendship. And you, music lover, you're next. <laughs> drunk piano player. You're so drunk you can't hit nothing. In fact, you're probably seeing double. I have two guns, one for each of you. Also intriguing is a romance between Wyatt Earp and a visiting actress played by Dana Delaney. Nice scenery. Well, 
home. Tombstone is, among other things, an incredibly good-looking movie. William A. Fraker's cinematography isn't just another dusty, picturesque western, but a world of lights and shadows and dramatic moments in which the twitch of an eye can change everything. Some of the individual moments in this movie pull terrific, dramatic surprises, as, for example, that scene where Wyatt Earp walks into a casino where a bad guy has been running things. Now, Earp isn't even carrying a gun, but he uses psychology and uh, just a kind of a real directed stare to terrify the bully. Tombstone may have gone through some creative difficulties in the making, but the result is an absorbing, exciting movie. And you know, it's now turned into a surprise hit. It's grossed more than $50 million. Yeah. And the surprising thing is that they didn't want to show it to the critics oh, because they were sure it would get bad reviews. It was well hidden from us. We were prevented from seeing it. <laughs> and uh, that's Wild, unfortunate. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that uh, Hollywood executive has said, if the pictures that I didn't make mm -hmm. would probably have grossed as much as the ones I did make. Yeah, this sort yeah. of proves that yeah. story. <laughs> um, I didn't like the picture as much as you, but there are elements in it that I think are terrific. Mm -hmm. Val Kilmer's performance, but uh, he's no stranger to praise from me. Um, Val Kilmer uh, in The Doors, was, yeah. he's, he's just a marvelous actor. Uh, sometimes I think uh, Kurt Russell is in character, sometimes not. Some of the women, I think, are. I like the fact that they tried to bring the women into this story, yeah. which is you know, so often left out of Westerns. Um, I think you're absolutely on target in praising William A. Fraker. He's you know, a marvelous cinematographer. If there is one the movie does look gorgeous. In the movie, which was directed finally by George Cosmatos, it's, there are a couple of montages where everybody is shooting a lot, and a lot of people are getting killed, and that's supposed to show that time is passing and uh, uh, the conflict is going on. Yeah. And I thought that the dramatic parts were so interesting that oddly enough, well, you know, the action just yes, slowed things that's, down. That's it. And uh, yeah, the, the whole group called the Cowboys. Yeah. So, isn't that what they call yeah. the Cowboys, yeah. the bad guys? Uh -huh. They were the least interesting aspect in the yeah. film. It was interesting. You wanted more of the personal story. Yeah, so they both really liked the movie, but I thought that was the most interesting aspect is like, they didn't want to screen this thing for critics. Disney had zero faith in this movie at all. And Ebert had to go and find it and ended up loving it. Yeah. They both gave it uh, two thumbs up and they gave it a high recommend. And uh, they did reference it very briefly when they reviewed Wyatt Earp. We played that last week as they talked about what a superior film this was, as everyone really agrees. Hell yeah. So yeah, with that, we took a look at both of these movies and how, how they fit together and which one we prefer. I think we gave Wyatt Earp about a fair shake as we could. We really tried to give it everything that we could to see if there was like a hidden gem back there. And there was not. Nope. And Tombstone is still an absolute stone cold Western classic. Yeah. One of my favorite Western films. If you haven't seen it, I recommend you go do it. I don't know why you listen to this entire one hour show of us talking about Tombstone. And you haven't seen it. But if you're just listening to us on a loop, first of all, thank you. Second of all, go and see Tombstone. All right. You need to go do that right now. You'll enjoy that hell out of the movie it's a lot better than us talking about it yeah you don't even need sound for that <laughs> so yeah don't worry about that we don't need sound for that crap i said yep but nothing yeah. came yeah, out nothing came out yeah it's okay you're a podcaster it's fine <laughs> you don't need to they don't need to hear you whatever all right but you know we don't even know what we're gonna do next week but we're gonna get back to reboots it's kind of difficult because we're in Christmas season. Yeah, we're Christmas season, so we want to do something Christmassy. But we're running out of time yeah like we, we've got to get it done right right now so we can have unless, unless we just want to feature one christmas movie that we love or do yeah well, we can just do like a christmas episode or we can yeah yeah or we can we'll do, talk about yeah, it yeah we, why we, are we we'll, talking about it right now yeah this is probably the least <laughs> the, we, why, 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 why are we talking about it here why we gotta get content come on keep the minutes going you gotta subscribe you gotta hit the like button subscribe come on yeah so we'll figure it out guys we're gonna have a show next week we always do once again, sorry about the audio quality for those Ebert clips. I once again mentioned he is the most famous film critic who ever lived, who has a giant archive 
of a review of nearly every film from 1979 to 2010. And that archive is just on YouTube off people's VHS or DVR rips. That's the only place those exist. No one has taken the time to remaster all those and give us nice, clean audio of the greatest film critics who ever lived reviewing the greatest movies of our time. Yeah. It's shameful, but thank God for YouTube and the real fans keeping Ebert's words and reviews alive after all this time. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the real heroes. Those guys who went through their VHS collection went like, yeah, I did tape that episode about the movies and uploaded it to YouTube. So we have it. So for posterity's sake, I would never have known that that movie was hidden from critics. As I looked for critical reviews, that was a huge missing puzzle piece that the second Ebert said, I was like, well, that makes sense. That's why nobody reviewed this movie. Yeah. So I would never have known that without that. So once again, thanks to those guys that do that, you know, it really makes a difference. Keeping track of the media that can just get lost. And th- that's real important. People are always concerned about film preservation. Trust me, there's always going to be people to save copies of Ben-Hur. But there's other stuff like that. Sometimes it won't always go that way. Don't you don't you play me out, woman. I wanted to make my point. If anybody's listening right now, they appreciate that point and they love it. Do they? Yeah, they love it. <laughs> With that, guys, I am out. Bye.